It was an interesting week at home, but it got me thinking a lot about, ah, about our church family. A terrible segue, terrible transition, but just got me thinking a lot about our church family and this sermon series. Because um, I had a lot of time to think about the sermon series. And one of the, one of the things that I, I mean, if there was one sermon series where I, if I could have every single person who attends our church on a Sunday be there for the whole thing, this would be it. It's so important and so critical. So part of me is kind of sad. There are a number of college kids that are not here today because some thing called Inner Varsity has this thing called Winterfest every year at this time. And so they're all at this retreat. And if there's a group of people that needed to hear this message, it's a bunch of college students who just kind of attend on a Sunday morning and don't think of belonging to this church as more than that. But then it also got me thinking about a lot of you uh, who, who are not Christian. Or maybe you are confused on whether you're a Christian. And, and as I said last week, one of the main reasons why you struggle with Christianity is because of Christians. Anybody? Right? And for you, we're doing this sermon series because until you understand what the Bible has to say about why God created this thing called the church... Christians, especially bad Christians like you and like me, will always be a barrier towards getting to know Jesus. So you need to know what the Bible has to say, what God has to say about why he created this thing called the church. And then there are those of you who actually consider yourself a Christian but have this perspective that says, I don't need the church to get to know God. It's very cool, hip, popular in our culture. I don't need God to to, to grow spiritually, you know. Spiritual growth, finding God is sort of this personal venture that I'm just kind of on my own and journey. And you're like, church, nah, but, but God, yes, you need to hear this sermon. And then there are those of you who come to church, church, this gathering, which gathering once a month or twice a month, and you listen to the sermons and you sing some songs, and there's really no relational investment or connection anywhere, and you just kind of go home, and your perspective is, as long as that church kind of gives me what I need, what I want, I'm going to stick around, but as soon as that stops happening, I'm going to go elsewhere. Some of you, you guys attend two or three different church worship services. sitting here this morning and it's kind of like well this morning you know it's kind of like where should I go I I think I'll go to a new community and then there are those of you who sitting there this morning going poo poo on those people they're so clueless we all know the Christian community being a part of community is a vital part of being a Christian we all know that but truth be told for you community let's be honest is all about you It's a very self-centered thing where you go, community is what it does for me. So these friendships, relationships, this is, but then beyond that, there's really no other perspective. This is the reason why some of you try out a small group, and within one or two weeks, you go, well, what happened? I don't like it. Why didn't you like it? They were weird. (laughs) Do a challenge and go. Maybe you're weird. No, I don't do that. They were weird. Or, or it was different. Or, you know, the leader wasn't so. In other words, the entire approach to community is about, well, what did it do for me? By the way, have you looked around in our church? You're never going to go to a community group where, where you're going to feel totally comfortable because chances are you're going to be with people who are nothing like you. What does the Bible have to say? Last week I did a, 
a biblical survey to make one point. The question, if you put up the slide, please, what does God accomplish in his redemptive work? What does God accomplish in his redemptive work? From beginning to the end, we looked at God's aim is to glorify himself through what? A, a people. Is, is it up there somewhere? Yeah? Yeah. Oh, there you go. God's aim is to glorify himself through a people. This is why the late, one of my favorite authors, pastors, John Stott said this. Uh, the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. The story of the Bible is God fulfilling this promise in Exodus 6-7. We saw this last week. You will be my, what? Say it with me. People and I will be your God. That's God's purpose. Does it sound like my purpose is to forgive you of your sins so you can go to heaven when you die? God's aim is to glorify himself through a people. And even today, God is calling people, praise God for this, from all tribe, language, and nations to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he calls this people the church. So the church is not a building institution. Church is not address. Church is not any of these things, but a people. And what we are, new community, listen, is a local expression of this eternal purpose of God. That's what we are. Point from last week. The reason why Exodus 6-7 is important is because it reminds us that salvation brings you not just intimacy with God, but it brings you into community with God others. Jesus had the audacity to say in Acts 20, verse 28, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Now, we're accustomed to hearing this, be, be shepherds of me, you, I, individual, which Jesus bought with his blood. And yet Jesus says he paid on the cross the price for the what? The church. You become a Christian and part of the church in a single movement. When you get saved, you get connected to God, but at the very instant, you also get connected to others. Let me put up this point here. Do you know what this means? This means that Christian community is your identity, not just an activity. Hello? Can I get an amen on that? Christian community is not just something you do. It's See, I go, I'm talking out loud, right? Christian community is not something you do. It is something you what? You are. We think Christian community, restaurant, eating, hanging out, small groups, Bible study, praying. Those are all good. But Christian community is at the foundation of who you and I are. That when we become a Christian and get saved, we gather as a people around a person. And that gathering around a person brings us, incorporates us into other Christians, and not just God. When you become a Christian, you get two identities. Identity as a child of God and identity as the church. They are inseparable. Inseparable. Do you know what this means? This means that many of us who go, okay, so I become a Christian, you know, and then I'll decide whether I want to be a part of a church. I'll decide whether I want to be in community with others. The Bible says that's foreign to Christianity. Here's how you and I know if it's an identity or activity. Activity says 
you know, I'm going to prioritize my life, and if I have time, I'll organize community. Biblical Christianity says biblical community anchors you. Everything else in your life, you prioritize around it. Church, are you hearing me? Christian community is your identity. That means it's foundational to all you do. That means that anything else we do, we prioritize around this. Now, I, look, this is so obvious. The reason why this sounds so foreign to our ears is because we swim in a culture of individualism. I mean, I didn't even want to talk about that because it's like you and I all know. We are bombarded with the message that says, oh, no, 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 no. You set your priorities and your schedule. And then if you have time, other people, community. Isn't that how you and I are? And yet the Bible says, flip that, flip that. Christian community is at the center. And then if you have time, do your own thing. What? Uh-huh. No, 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 no. I do my own thing. And then if I, no, 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 no. Christian community. Then if you have time, do your own thing. That's how you and I know whether we're living into this identity or if it's just an activity. Now, look, you, you guys, you look, why does God redeem for himself a people? Why, why does God do this? Ah! <laughs> this is where we go terribly wrong. Two minutes, two minutes. Two minutes, give me two minutes. This is where we go terribly wrong. The very foundation of understanding the Bible and the world for, 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 for that matter is this. That God created the world, and, and, and Nathan prayed this, this wonderful prayer. God created the world to exist in a state of shalom. That is interconnected, interpenetrated, interdependent. Every aspect, our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, our relationship with creation, everything. Everything was, 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 was interwoven to exist in harmony. When sin enters, things began to unravel. You know, it's interesting. I was reading this week. We use phrases like the society or the fabric of society is unraveling. People say that. The fabric, non-Christians, the fabric of society. To say that these various aspects of society and culture are just unraveling. That's a biblical way of saying when sin entered the world, our relationship with God began to unravel. Our relationship with each other began to unravel. And all of creation begins to unravel. So it's not just that our relationship with God is affected. Our relationship with each other. That's why individuals are at war with individuals. Families are at war with families. Nations. Uh, some of y'all might be too old or too young for this, but you guys remember a guy named Rodney King who said what? Can't we all just get along? And the Bible says no. Why? When sin entered the world, (laughs) our relationship with each other began to unravel. When Jesus Christ dies and rises again, listen, if if your perspective is, ah, he did it to connect us to God and that's it, the world will not make any sense. But when Jesus Christ dies and rises again, he begins to reweave our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, and he begins to reweave the creation. Now, watch this. As I say in the black church, watch this. How will the world know out there that this is what Jesus Christ has done? How will the world know out there 
that the mess out there, the unraveling out there, that when Jesus Christ died and rose again, how would the world know that when Jesus Christ died and rose again, he began this process of putting things back together. How will the watching, unbelieving world, that sarcastic, cynical out there go, how in the world, who, what, there's a God? Look at this, look at this mess. How will the world know that when God died and rose again, that he's, how will the world know that this is going to happen? The Bible says, look at the is to be that place where the watching world out there goes, look at that mess. You tell me there's a God, there's a, there's a God, Pfft, whatever. The Bible says that the watching world needs to look at the church because the church says what? Hey, 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 Jesus Christ began to reweave everything and the mess out there, he's going to, and people going, how do you know? Because in the church, human relationships that fell apart is being rewoven back together. Shut up. No, for real? In the church, human relationships that are war. In the church, people who could never get along out there. In the church, people who have no business being in close relationships. They're actually living together. Get out of here. No, 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 no. In the church, alienated communities are being reconciled. In the church, people forgive and are forgiven. What? In the church, people speak words of kindness and truth. In the church, human community is being put back together again. And the world says, how do you know God's going to do something about the mess out there? Oh, look at that. In the, do you know that's what we're supposed to be? (laughs) Question. Is it any wonder people out there look at the church and go, there's no God? Is it any wonder that your cynical friends who look at the world and go, injustice, poverty, war, oppression, this messed up world. There's no living God because we cannot point to the church and say, God's doing that. He can do something about there out there. Yeah, you can clap to that. But in the church today, we mirror the world out there. Hello? We mirror the world. Can I say a couple of things real quick? This is the reason why in the church, forgiveness is so important. Because if we do not forgive and are forgiven, they will not see the cross that says you can forgive and be forgiven. So for those of you that are like, I gave up on the church. Before you fully, fully give up. Realize what we were supposed to be. Realize that the watching world is supposed to look at us and go, God can do that in there. He can do something on that out there. Is that powerful? Is that powerful? Is it challenging? Is it encouraging? Listen, this is a mission that's so big and so grand that anybody who says, Christian life, what big deal? Are you kidding me? 
Can you imagine being a part of something that's showcasing to the world, hey, hey, at the end of all this, God's going to put everything back together. Really? Really. And I want you to come and taste it. Where? In the church. And in Jesus' name, amen. Guys, this is, that's what the church is. It's unbelievable to me that we've made it about other things. This is the reason why the New Testament, for many of you, don't make any sense. It just doesn't make, you know why? New Testament, 70% of the commands are in the plural. New Testament was not written for an individual to sit and read. New Testament was written to a group of people. The commands are in the plural. Commands aren't you. Commands are y'all. It's written to, that's why you and I read the New Testament. It's like, they're boring. It doesn't make any sense. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'm trying. Rejoice in the Lord always. All of y'all rejoice. Do you know why? Sometimes Carlton's not going to want to feel like rejoicing, just like you and me. And so the Bible says, everybody, help one another. What? Rejoice in the Lord. Be content with what you have. Be content. If I had some, I'd be content. Be content, plural. Of course, it's going to be hard for you to be content by yourself. Y'all. This is the church, man. Good Lord. Look, it's okay to be in small groups of people who do life together to get support. But if those of you that are in community and small groups just stop at, this is great for me, and it doesn't result in so that, in other words, being community encourages from strengthens you so that you can show the world what life looks like under the lordship of Jesus. So that you can show the married couples Bible study. If your married couples Bible study is great because y'all go, wow, this is wonderful. We married couples get wonderful edification encouraged, blessing out of learning about marriage, and it ends there. Failure. You're supposed to be able to go, see how God could heal marriages here? God could heal the world out there too, you know. And you point people. There's always a so that. (sighs) When we forget this, it's when the church forgets us, you guys, that the church turns into a private club, man, that exists to keep insiders happy and comfortable and outsiders out. Okay, gross alert. I'm gro- it, warning, gross alert. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a bit gross, but I'm going to get gross. Alert. Some people think that smaller the church, the easier it is to be more intimate. Is that true? No, no. Because you know what? I've walked into some small churches, 50, 100 people, right? Small 50, 100 people, and it's very intimate. But it feels like walking in on two people who are kind of making out. It's intimate, but you're not particularly inclined to join. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Does anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Say amen if you do. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you, they, all, they all love each other. And then you're just kind of outside going, and you, hello. And it's really intimate, but you're like, no thanks. I don't want to be... A- Sometimes I wonder if that's our church. Sometimes I wonder if that's our church. Open your Bibles to Ephesians 2. We're going to spend the next couple of weeks on Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 22. Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. 
all of Ephesians chapter 1, Paul goes out of his way to say that God is at work. God is at work in the world. God is at work in the world. And Paul has the audacity to say, chapter one, God is at work in the world. And then in chapter 2, listen to this, chapter 2, Paul literally says, here's the way that you could see that God is at work in the world. Here's the way that you could see that gospel has the power to change everything. In chapter 2, he begins talking about what? The church. Here he goes again. You want to see God? You want to see the gospel at work? Church. And then he says in verse 11, here we go. Therefore, remember that firmly you are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at the time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has joined the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. Paul goes on and on about this throughout the book. But he talks about right here the, Jews, the, the, the hostility that exists between Jews and Gentiles. In verse 14, when he says hostility, it's literally the word for hate. So he is commenting on what was currently in existence, Jews and Gentiles hating each other. But the interesting thing is this, what's causing the hate? Do you see that? Verse 15, by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying the, the, the thing that's causing this hatred between Jews and Gentiles, these two races of people, is the law and the regulations. What was the law and the regulations? He's talking about the Mosaic law of the Old Testament. Do you remember? The Jews are given the law in the Old Testament as a, watch this, a gift. A gift. A gift, purely out of grace. And the Jews are given the law as a gift. And by the law, they were supposed to organize and order their lives around it, therefore being a blessing to other nations. The law is given so that the nation of Israel corporally could live their lives in accordance with it and point to the other nations and say, this is what a godly nation looks like. This is what a nation rightly related to God each other looks like. This is what shalom looks like. And they were point to other nations. And the other nations were supposed to be the nation of Israel under the law and be blessed by it. Be blessed by it. God gives the nation of Israel a gift of the law to be a blessing on the other nations. And the Bible says, instead of doing that, it became a source of hostility. Why? The Jews took the law and did what? Looked at the Gentiles and said, Y'all don't have the law. Look down at them. And the Gentiles looked at the Jews and said, who the heck do you think you are? And they despise the Jews. Because there's nothing more despicable than being despised, right? They said, who do you think you are? So here's the gift that God gives between, uh, gift that God gives to the Jews, and yet it's a source of hostility. Okay, let's take the universal principle and bring it down. Do you also realize that God gives us strengths, gifts, and talents? And it becomes a source of hostility. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because you know what we do? We take these gifts, talents, and gifts that God gives. We lift it up to an ultimate value. And we look at everybody who doesn't have it. Look down at them and despise them. Like three of you understand what I'm talking about? (laughs) Anybody know what I'm talking about? How many of us do that? Take good gifts and talents God gives us. We lift it up as an ultimate value. We judge everybody around us and go, and we don't exclude them. You know why the Bible says we do that? We do that? All the way back to Genesis. 
God says he creates us in our hearts to serve one and only God. Romans 1 says, Paul says, we repress that truth. We know we're supposed to serve God, worship him only. We suppress that truth and we elevate ourselves to be gods. And you know what that does? It results in deep insecurity, like, uh, things aren't quite right. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Things aren't quite right. Deep insecurity because we know that we're supposed to serve and worship God only, and yet we elevate ourselves in the position of God. Deep insecurity. Now, here's the thing. The way we deal with this insecurity is not by looking to God and saying, God, you're my source of goodness. You're my source of truth. You're my source of identity. We instead take good gifts and talents that God gives. We elevate them to ultimate value. That is, you and I look at that thing, race, beauty, smarts, career, money, and go, this is how I know I'm not a bum. This is how I know I'm somebody. This is how I know I could look at myself in the mirror. This is how I know I'm loved and acceptable. This is it. This is it. And we take that, and then we look at everybody else. Because we can't just be like, I'm smart. We got to go, I'm smarter. We can't just go, I'm pretty. We go, I am prettier. (laughs) C.S. Lewis, that's the source of pride. Pride. You know, it's that guy who's not content to just get that girl. But he wants to get that girl so he can say to all the other guys, see, 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 see. I, we all do that. Why? Because of the deep insecurity in our hearts. Unless you feel superior to somebody, you don't feel quite right. And the more people you feel superior to, the better you feel about yourself. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Carlton, do you know what I'm talking about? What are you doing that about, by the way? What are you doing that about? It's not a rhetorical question. I'm asking you. What are you doing that about this morning? Can some of us be honest? Harder worker. Oh. See, as an Asian, I go, yeah. Yeah. Why you point? Why you hit me on my idolatry, you know? My boy, Jamie Lynn, Jeremy Lynn, hard worker, that hard working Asian. Oh, good Lord. Don't even get me started, all right? Chink in the armor. Are you kidding me? Don't get me started. Oh. Don't, I got myself started. Hard work, hard work. Are you? Oh, Chris just spoke on behalf of so many of us. We look and we go, we don't just go, I'm a hard worker. I feel good about myself. We go, what? I'm harder working than... Anybody else? Better person. Better person, Dan says. Oh, better person. It's not just I'm a good person. It's what? I am better. What else? Oh, oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Because some of us are like those self-righteous. I'm not like you. I'm better than you. It's like we're self-righteous about their self-righteousness. You laugh, but like half of us in here are like that. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not like them. They're self-righteous. And you don't realize you're being self-righteous about your self-righteousness. Anybody else? What else? One more. I'm nicer. We go on, nice, more general. We do that 
fund it. You can't help it. You're doing it right now. You're sitting there going, I could preach better than him. (laughs) I know you are. I know who you are. (laughs) We all, listen, I heard this story. I heard the story of a guy. I heard the story about a guy who was stranded on an island by himself. Nobody else. When the rescuers found them, I don't think this is true. When the rescuers found them, there were two churches on the island. And the rescuers were like, dude, what, what, why two churches? And his response was, well, I needed one to go to, and I need another one to stay away from. <laughs> this is the reason why we Christians in America, here I go, I'm going to go on my soapbox, have lost our witness to the world. Do you know why? Christians in America are known more for what we're against than what we're for. When people think of Christians in this country, immediately they go, yeah, Christians, they're against that, they're against that, they hate that, they're against that, they're against that. How do we take biblical Christianity where it says that God is for love, God is for forgiveness, God is for peace, God is for justice? And turn it into something where people go, Christians, they're a bunch of people who are against everything. When Christians in our country become known more for what we're for than what we're against, we will gain credibility of the watching world. Can I get an amen? Amen. Now, one of the things, I I could stay on this soapbox, one of the things that Paul does, or Paul says, that we do that with is what? Is with our race, with our ethnicity, with our culture. That's his argument here. A very common way that you and I feel better about ourselves. Come on, come on, come on. How many of us Asians this, this week? So with pride. Anybody? Anybody? See, this is the problem with Asians, see? Like, you know, I'm including myself. When I said that, you'll be like, yes! Get up and clap. How many of us Asians this, this week? Just so why? Why? Because, and here's the thing. We don't just go, go, Jeremy. I, I, confession, I, I, I walked around going, the Asian race, we're not just smart. <laughs> it's like one person validated like three billion people in the world or something, you know what I mean? One of the things that we do this though, racism isn't just saying my culture, my race, my ethnicity is different. Racism is, it's not just different, but it's what? It's better. We moralize it. We moralize it. So one of the ways we feel better about ourselves, we take a race, race, ethnicity, culture, and we elevate it, and we judge everybody else, and we don't just go, we're different, but we just go, uh, uh, we go, uh, I'm better. So I don't just go, I'm Korean, and the way I do things is different from you. I go, I'm Korean, and the way I do things is better. So Korean food's not Korean food. Korean food is food. I don't know what y'all eat, but I eat food, Korean food. Do you know what I mean? Can I be a little bit more serious? A little bit more serious about about, about this. Uh, One of the things I do is I perform a lot of, I used to perform a lot of weddings. A lot of the weddings I performed used to be interracial couples, right? One time I had to marry a couple, and it was, let's say, somewhere up in Minnesota. Small in Minnesota. Just to give you an idea of what the neighborhood was like afterwards. After the ceremony, you know, I, I had a nice gentleman, nice, 
elderly gentleman came up to me and in the line he said, that was a wonderful service pastor. He said, do you know Mr. Chang who owns a Chinese restaurant down the street? <laughs> what do you think I did? I said, yes, I do, as a matter of fact. I do know Mr. Chang. Wonderful hot and sour soup. <laughs> that was the lighthearted highlight. You know what the low light was for me? Most people, I mean, you know, I go like this. They can't tell I'm the efficient, right? So I had the opportunity before the wedding just to walk around. Here's what happened at the wedding. One race, ethnicity group of people showed up on time as they do, proper. <laughs> Another, the bride side, showed up a little bit, you know, late. You know? I'm walking around. Here's what I heard. I heard the people showed up on time. Proper said, oh, those people. I'm hearing those people. They're so inefficient, so, so lazy. No wonder they can't get jobs. Really. But I heard the other folks, though, say, those people, so tight, so unfriendly, so cold. Sociology was to say, well, one group, they're just like that because they're time-oriented. Time is important. Other group, they're event-oriented. The Bible says, fundamentally at the heart, is each culture elevating their cultural difference and saying, because of this, we're better than you. That's why the earth is spilled and filled with human blood. We live in a world where the earth is filled with human blood because each culture, ethnicity, race says we're better. Do you know this about yourself? Be honest. Now, why am I talking about this? Look at what Paul says in verse 14. He himself is our peace who has made the two one, has destroyed the barrier, dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing in his flesh with his laws, commandments, and regulations, his purpose was to... Good Lord, I love the Bible. Create in himself one new man out of the two. And one new man literally in Greek is kainon anthropon, which literally means one new humanity, one new race of people, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And Paul is literally saying, God isn't just bringing these two races of people together to coexist. Paul is saying God is somehow creating, out of the two races, a brand new race of people, a brand new humanity. Now, why is this important? I try to break it down a little less. Let me go a little bit more into detail. The church, point please, is not. Church is a counterculture, not a club. What Paul is saying that when he says, you're a race of people, when we think race, it's not just the way we look. Race entails hundreds, thousands of assumptions values, where we think about the world. A culture is a holistic way of looking at everything in the world. Korean culture, it's not just about the food. We like certain kinds of food. Korean culture says everything about how I raise my kids, what my marriage looks like, career, future, job, my identity. Culture entails every single sphere of life. And Paul is saying, what God is doing, he's not just bringing people together. 
who have one or two things in common? That's what a club is. Weight Watchers. We belong to Weight Watchers. Why? We want to lose weight. Okay. Tennis club. Why y'all belong to tennis club? We like playing tennis together. Paul is saying the church is not a club. We all get together because there's one or two, three things in common. The church is a brand new culture where the way you do everything is different. Holy cow. Now, in the next two weeks, we're going to delve into, so what does that mean for singles and dating? That's going to be a good one. What does it mean for how we do marriages? What does it mean for how we spend our money? What does it mean? We're going to tell all of these things about how we, brand new race, brand new culture. By the way, this is where we get our name from, new community. It's a tall order to live up to. Kenny prayed that this morning. He said, let us be the church that lives up to the name. Whole. The way we're saying is everything we do, everything we do. But today, I just want to spend a moment on this. Today, and this is very personal to me, very, very hard for me to talk about. Today, we're talking about then how does this new culture here, this new race of people, how did they do relationships across race, ethnicity? Two things, real quick. Number one, here's one mistake we can make. One mistake we can make, and please hear this well. One mistake we could make is Christians come and go, your identity is in Christ, so it doesn't matter what you are. To which we say what? Then why is it that in Revelation 5 and 7, the Bible says, and the nations are gathered together in each tribe, language, and tongue. In heaven, our ethnic distinctions are maintained. I'm thankful that when we go to heaven, there isn't this one blob. (laughs) Where people are like, what is that? (laughs) You know how on TV sometimes they fuse like facial features, right? Like Conan does that. They take like three celebrities and fees up. You're like, oh my gosh. We think we're going to go to heaven and be like, what the heck is that? No, no, no. When we go to heaven, it'd be like, Carlton. Daddy is. Our ethnic distinctions are maintained. Being in Christ doesn't obliterate. This is the reason why I understand that when somebody comes up to me and says, Pastor Peter, I don't see you as Korean. I see you as Peter. To which I go, thank you. But who I am is very much influenced by who I am as a Korean. Ethnic culture distinctions are a gift of God. And that's why when we go to heaven, listen, listen, our distinctions are maintained almost as to say, see, God planned that from the beginning, and see, oh, not only is it maintained, but see how that expresses the greatness of God's mercy that the gospel is for all people. Amen. However, the problem is when we take our ethnic distinctions and make it a source of our own glory rather than the glory of God. Can I say that again? We take these ethnic distinctions and we make them a source of our own glory. And when we do that, we take our differences and we judge rather than. Here's what Paul is saying. When you become a Christian, listen, when you become a Christian, here's what happens. Your ultimate identity becomes formed as a child of God, as a Christian. So that means that I, as a Christian, Peter, am Christian first, Korean second. I'm Christian first and middle class, poor, or rich second. 
I am Christian first and educated second. That means when you become a Christian, you develop connections with people of other race, ethnicity, and culture that go so deep that that union and relationships becomes even more profound than people of your own race and ethnicity and culture who have not experienced the gospel. Dan, are you resonating with this? Did you see what I said? That means that when you, be, when you become a Christian, even though I'm Korean, and all my homies back when I grew up, I still feel connections to them. But if they don't know Jesus, that means that the connections that I feel with the Carlton, with the Thaddeus, with the Jan- uh, Janice, with Nathan, the connections I feel with them are so much more deep and profound than even people that I grew up with. That means that a single mother in our church, I have a closer connection and a deeper bond with her than I do with someone who may have grown up just like me. The gospel has the power to create that kind of intimate community. Here's the question. Is new community then a counterculture or are we a club? If that is the measure of a counterculture community of people of all the rest of us and culture, are we a... We are a club if what brings us together is the fact that you like the sermons and yet never go relationally deep. We are a club if what you like about our church is the worship service because it's cool, hip, and it gets me going and yet you never go relationally deep. We are a club if all we're here for is the mission of the church, but the mission is never connected to a deeper community of people that we're doing life with. We are a club, not a counterculture. Church, are you hearing me? Here's a quote from a guy named D.A. Carson, who's my professor. And then I'm going to ask him questions. The church is made up of natural enemies. What ultimately binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of that sort. Christians come together because they have all been saved by Jesus Christ. They're a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. So here are questions on whether we're a club or a counterculture. Question number one. Do you come to worship service with people who look and act just like you? To which you go, well, I can't help it. You know, I come by myself. I, you know, I come with my family. Second question then. Do you leave the worship service with people who look and act just like you? Third question. Are you sitting right now, look at your row, with people who look, uh-oh, look <laughs> and act just like you. Hey, 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 everybody look up here. We're not done yet. This is easy. These are the easy questions. Okay, you think, oh my gosh, these are the easy. Are you sitting right now? Do what you're going. Well, I can't help it. You know what I would love? You know what I would love in our church? I would love it if we as a church community did this. When you came in here, you committed that Sunday to sit with somebody you don't know. What would that be like? Wow. Fourth question. Do you only interact with people who look and act just like you? Greeting time. How's it going? How's it going? Awesome. 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 Why's Michael going? End the time, Michael. Awesome. Hey. Hey, okay, okay, okay. Five. Do the words diverse, different, 
difficult to describe your relationships. But Peter, it's hard being in cross-cultural relationships. No kidding, Einstein. Of course it's hard. Of course it's difficult. But why do we Christians always, always, always have to be about what's safe and comfortable and easy? What the heck is that? Six? Are you regularly praying with anyone who doesn't look and act just like you? Seven? Do you seek out mentors of different race, ethnicity, even gender? Next, do you regularly practice the spiritual discipline of forgiveness? You guys, listen, if we are going to be this counterculture race of people, that means two things are happening. Number one, we are getting into conflict. Why? We come from different backgrounds. Of course we're going to misunderstand each other. If we're not in conflict, that means we're not really doing relationships. Secondly, it is so important for the church to practice it. This is why, for me, we have a long way to go, not just our, any church. Christians stink at forgiveness, which is amazing to me. Because the reason why we're a Christian is because we have been forgiven. Next, do you acknowledge we live in a culture influenced by race, class, even gender? Next, do you speak up when others stereotype people of other race and class and culture? Can I just, this is one of the things that amazes me. Christian, you know, we'd be at the water cooler and someone would be like, <laughs> Jeremy Lynch, you hear about that chink in the armor? <laughs> and you're sitting there going, yeah, idiots. <laughs> or do you go, can I just say something? That's offensive to Asians. And put yourself out there. Lastly, <laughs> are you feeling prideful and arrogant about how well you did on this? <laughs> that's right. You're the one I'm talking to, right? Sit there all self-righteous like, that's right. I get it. That's why I'm at this church. You might be the problem. <laughs> 2,000 years ago, Daddy has come on up, I'm almost done. 2,000 years ago, something happened that Jesus hoped would happen. 2,000 years ago, Jesus prayed, John 17, Father, may they be one so that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus was literally saying, look, y'all can go out and go, Jesus forgives you, he came down from heaven, no, 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 which is wonderful, important. But when the world says, shut the heck up and show me, we need to be able to point to a community of people that says, see that? That's impossible, right? But Jesus... 2,000 years ago, a group of people actually did that, and they swept through the Roman Empire and won over their culture. I want to end with the gospel because 
gospel is the key. I don't just in there going, oh my gosh, you made me feel so guilty. Verse 16. And in this one body then, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Paul is literally saying that the only thing that could heal this division is the cross of Jesus Christ. The only thing that could heal this division is the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting. Paul says in verse 16, on the cross, he put to death the hostility and hatred. But if you're observant, you go, on the cross, he put to death their hostility. Wait a minute. The only thing that was put to death on the cross is who? Jesus. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 God made him who had no sin to be sin so that we might be reconciled to God. Do you know what happened on the cross? Listen, we were hostile towards each other. God should have been hostile towards us. We hated each other. We destroyed each other and are destroying each other in our world today. God should have destroyed us. But on the cross, instead of being hostile to us, instead of destroying us, on the cross, God put his son. And man, if you're a Christian and you take that deep into your heart, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way, number one, you could feel superior to other people. Are you kidding me? you kidding me? If you take this deep in your heart, there's no way that you can feel superior to other people. Why? The gospel comes along and says, among other things, when Jesus Christ did this, you know what, was, you know what, what happened? He said, we were welcomed into the family of God and Jesus in Hebrews 2.11 calls us brothers. You're my brother. Question, would you agree that the Godhead, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is, an, is a superior race than us? Would you agree? I think so. He's perfect. He's omniscient. He's omnipowerful. And yet, this superior race looks down and says, Carlton, you're my brother. Same family. He says, I'm not ashamed to call you brother, Peter. Can I ask you something? Who are you ashamed to call brother? Because how they smell? Because it's the color of their skin? Because they haven't gone to school as much as you? Because they don't make as much money as you? Oh, or because they're self-righteous? Who are you ashamed this morning to call brother? That means that the gospel has not penetrated your heart. And you're still looking to that thing to feel superior to other people so you can feel good about yourself. The gospel doesn't just humble us out of our pride. It gives us a whole new identity. Why? There's a bunch of things you can be proud of. I'm proud of the fact that I'm Korean. I'm proud of the fact that I'm, I, I, I'm educated. I'm proud of the fact that I'm all these things. But ultimately, if I find my security and identity in that, I'm like a life preserver in an ocean of storm, tossing back and forth, back and forth, feeling super secure when I achieve and then feeling super worthless when I don't, back and forth. The only thing that can give us an identity that doesn't look down at other people but gives us an identity that emboldens us is the knowledge that when Jesus Christ dies on the cross, he doesn't just pay for our sins. He welcomes us into the family of God and says, you're my brother, you're my child. 
and the validation that you and I so look for in these other things, God goes, you're going to look forever if you look for validation in that. You've been given the validation, the only validation that matters that can never be taken away. What are you looking to go? That's what validates me. If that's you, you'll never be in community. Why? You're constantly going to either look down at people or resent other people. Where do you get your ultimate validation from? The cross of Jesus Christ comes, humbles us out of our pride, reminding us we're sinners saved by grace, but emboldens us and strengthens us, reminding us that we have the secure love of our Heavenly Father that validates us. May the gospel, may the gospel, Michael, bring the bread up for me, please, and the wine. May the gospel, may the gospel, church, everybody look up here for a second. May the gospel, may the gospel, may the gospel humble me out of my pride and my arrogance, and may the gospel embolden me in my insecurity. God, we don't want to be a club. We don't want this church to be a club, God. That's not what you intended. We want to be a new humanity, a new community, a new race, a counter culture in this city. A city segregated, a city torn by racial, ethnic, cultural differences. We want to be a healing, shalom community that can say to the rest of the city, what God is doing here, He will do out there. And He will do in our nation and all over the world. We can't do this on our own. Holy Spirit of God, we need you And we need the gospel of Jesus Christ to powerfully snap in our souls. Awaken us from our comfort and our slumber and our world of safety. And move us out and move us beyond our walls and these four walls. We want to be the church. The church that Jesus Christ died for. Show us how. Help us how. We pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And God's people said, and God's people said, amen. I want to encourage you, if you need to go.